Y'all still want me to come with you? Trowel, this is Vegas. We're latched. Hey, Alan, can I get a mic check? All right, one, two, three, four, and this is what it sounds like in the studio here at home. Hey, Michael, can I have a mic check, please? Means with mic check, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Stand by. Live from the Las Vegas Convention Center in Sin City, it's the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring special guest Elon Musk. The nerds have assembled in Sin City, and we're waiting through iPad cases, toy drones, and vaporizer pens, so you don't have to. <laughs> we'll sit down with the man at the top of Ford's self-driving car technology to find out why he's not worried about you never buying one. And we'll tell you what the catch is with a $1,000 appliance that allegedly folds your laundry. <laughs> Plus, VR goes mainstream with HTC's improved Vive Pro headset. It's not just for the living room anymore. And now, at CES 2018, here's Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Yeah, uh... Well, okay, for one of us, well, anyway. I know, I know. I couldn't make it because I've got all kinds of other issues that keep me here at home. But a couple of things. First of all, I know that everybody who goes to CES comes home with the CES flu. Oh, yeah. Are, are you sick yet? I'm not sick yet, but I'm not as run down as I was last year or the year before when I did this uh, for uh, uh, CTV and, and BNN. We're just down here for you and me, uh, and this has given me the ability to say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to take a break. As a matter of fact, last night, instead of going to one of the two preview events, I went to one. I didn't go to the other. Wifey and I took in one of those Cirque du Soleil shows. Oh, did you go see the sexy one? We went to see the sexy, sexy one. Yeah, I thought I thought yeah. Zumanity. Oh, that one. Yes, okay. And so it's supposed to be all very erotic. And we get there. First of all, it's at New York, New York. And the theater itself is in the food court area. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not exactly sexy in and to itself. And you get there, and we had balcony tickets because we got them at the last minute. And when we get there, uh, the guy looks at our tickets, and the first thing he says is, okay, I want you to go down that hallway and uh, ask for Maria. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're not going upstairs? We're going this way? Okay, so we go and we ask for Maria. And uh, nope, this woman isn't Maria. Maria's over there. So they route us this way. Now, other people are going a different direction. We're going in this direction. We finally get to Maria, and we go from having front row balcony seats uh, to being on the main level just off to the side. I thought, well, this is, this is working out. But I need to say one thing when we bought the tickets. Um, the woman who we... The bought them from said uh, where would you like to sit and the wall of course right up front she said well do you want to be part of the show or do you want to watch the show and wifey's like no 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 we don't want to be part of the show we want to watch the show yeah so we went for the the balcony tickets on the front row so i realize as they're shepherding us into our seats that this seems to be some sort of weeding out process because when the show begins, the first couple that's the, uh, that they, they bring up on stage as, as part of the whole thing, these two people were absolutely beautiful. And they were in the front row. And then I realize, 
We're in the fourth row. I see. So they moved you back so you couldn't be seen. <laughs> and, 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 and so I, and we, there we are in the fourth row. And I'm like, okay, well, at least we're in the fourth row. We're going to be safe because they seem to be pulling people out of the first row, second row, third row, and in the aisles. And we're not in the aisles. We're in the, the center off to the stage left. And then I realize, as I look to my left, there's no other people seated beside us, so it's going to be very easy for them to get at us. Oh. They fortunately did not. <laughs> I would live in... I would be so terrified because the, I, I, there, there was a time my parents and some friends, we went to Hawaii and there was a hula show and they pulled me up on stage and I had to be the guy in the hula skirt. Yeah. And yep. I've never, ever forgotten that humiliation. The other thing that made me think that this is probably not going to be as sexy as advertised is when you got to where you could buy a, a drink, they also had popcorn and Reese's Pieces. Yeah, that doesn't really go well with, with a really sexy Zoomanity show. Uh, now, I have to ask, was the show sexy? Did it have any nudity? Did it have any, you know, uh, bump and grind there? There was a lot of bump and grind. There was a lot of toplessness. There was a lot of fake toplessness as well, which, you know, fine. Mm -hmm. These are these are professional um, acrobats. Uh, they are not strippers. Um, but uh, there was some pretty unusual stuff going on at, at, at a few points, which is all well and good. My favorite was that in addition to pulling up the beautiful couple, they also pulled up a woman who was in her late 60s. And uh, she went to town on the guy. <laughs> She was like, oh, I'm in Vegas, baby. I'm going to do whatever I yeah, want with this guy. Whatever she happens. was all over him. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, this, this offers uh, a nice little segue. Have you seen the stripper robots? No, I could not convince wifey to go to the biggest strip club in all of Las Vegas. I think it's something like 10 or 18,000 square feet. And uh, Shane Alexander at GeeksAndBeats.com has a full write-up. And if you look at the photo, um, this is clearly just a, a publicity stunt more than anything else. Because the heads of these stripper robots look identical. They look like CCTV cameras. Yeah, like the housings to keep them warm in the winter. With light bulbs coming out. Yeah, of them. I mean, or uh, or, or it, it kind of, if you look at them one way, they kind of look like the the xenomorph, an alien. So with that in mind, uh, and the fact that um, nobody ever believed me whenever I would say I've never been to a strip club, I just stopped saying that, um, that I don't know that uh, I'd want to go to a strip club with my wife to look at robotic strippers. That's just weird. Okay, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, yeah. So instead, we went to Zoomanity mm. and, and, and watched a 68-year-old woman paw at a young man. <laughs> All right. So while I was here uh, geeking out, you were keeping on top of the music side yeah. of yeah. the Consumer Electronics yeah. Show here in Las Vegas. Let me, let me go through a couple of things here. I mean, there's a lot of headphone technology. I would imagine Ugh. there's a lot of Bluetooth crap. I'm looking thousands at. and thousands and thousands and thousands of square feet of, of Bluetooth technology. Uh, for example, there's this company called Sonarworks, and they say that they can help you connect your headphones to studio sound. It's a, a true fi app saying that music lovers can maximize headphone investment while improving sound quality. Again, you know. Well, let me just back up a little bit. The thing about CES is that once you're accredited, and I was accredited even though I'm not there, people start sending you press releases, invitations, reminders about the invitations, and reminders of the reminders of the invitations. And I have been just absolutely inundated with all this 
consumer electronics audio stuff. So like this sonar work stuff. And um, I, I, a lot of the things that I've been looking at, it leaves me kind of suspicious because this, this, for example, the sonar works. A true FI, and that's their words, platform app, which is $79 for an app. And uh, it says that it's the first consumer offering that builds, that, that makes your headphones sound as good as what it sounds like in a recording studio. And, um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that seem to be doing tech just because they can, not because there's necessarily um, a market for it. And, and that's, that's what I was looking at with this, uh, this sonar work stuff. Well, this is the thing about the Consumer Electronics Show. The biggest question I always get is, so, are you going to bring the credit card with you? It's not that show. You can't buy anything. This is designed for uh, companies like Best Buy and Walmart to figure out what they want to order for the next Christmas holiday shopping or season. The, the, or, or two or three down the road. Right. You know, and of course, there's there's a whole bunch of other things like self-driving car technology. You know, we'll get into the VR and all that kind of stuff, too, which is cutting edge technology. But so much of it is crap. There is an entire section dedicated to iPad cases. Yes. And and, and vaporizer pens. And the, the big thing now is everything has to be augmented reality, whether you need it or not. Oh, and blockchain. Have you heard of that? Oh, oh my God. Everything's blockchain compatible now. Well, the thing that we that I've been hearing about uh, are um, the sex bots yep. and they're 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 big this year self-driving cars uh, LG's roll them up TV and uh, all this other stuff that I've been getting about audio gear for example let me give you another one this is the SVS series subwoofer which again is <laughs> it's Bluetooth enabled it's a it's a twelve hundred watt digital amp, and from what I gather, you can hook this thing up so that it runs audio off your phone. <laughs> so, I don't need I don't need a twelve hundred watt sub for my phone. Yeah. The other side of it, too, is the appliance business. And uh, I was down there at uh, the, the preview night, and there was a company based out of California called Foldimate. Have you seen this on geeksandbeats.com yet? No, I, not yet. I did a full video uh, interview and review with Debbie Cohen Abra Vanel, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, lovely uh, accent. Uh, and what it was, was this guy had come up with this appliance that folded your laundry for you. But the thing was, was that they were basically faking the demo because once the once the the garment was ingested into the machine there was nothing to fold it on the inside and they were like trust us we've come up with this we've got it working we've got a video showing you it's working we just can't show it to you here today oh and by the way it's 980 dollars it doesn't fold fitted sheets baby clothes or ladies unmentionables and so i'm like well then what's the point well yeah okay somebody missed the deadline so we'll go to ces next year 2019 
2019 CES, and it'll be there again. And whether or not they're they're faking the demo remains to be seen. Uh, on the uh, YouTube uh, channel for Geeks and Beats, uh, they're swearing up and down that they didn't fake it, that they weren't lying to us, uh, that uh, it was all on the level. Uh, the woman did admit that there was nothing in there. Uh, and so, sure enough, when he opened it up, it was just a jumble of clothes. <laughs> it was a midget in there. <laughs> That's what I, that was my very first question. You're looking at a robotic laundry folding machine. No! Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> Come on, admit it. There's a little man inside there doing all the work. No, little man, no. <laughs> okay, so how much is getting a robot to do my laundry for me going to cost me? So the target price at the moment is 980 US dollars. We're trying to keep the price down because we really want as many people to afford it as possible. Well, particularly people who don't want to do their own laundry. Now, it folds, but does it wash? It doesn't wash, no, it just folds. Okay, so I still have to do some work. So how does it work? Um, it's really simple. You literally just clip each item in, and every few seconds you can just clip the an, another item. Um, the drawer is filling up. The, it's actually folding simultaneously, so there are multiple items inside folding at the same time. The drawer fills up. When the drawer is full, it tells you. You take them out, and then you just continue. So how long did it take for you to come up with this technology? Because clearly we've been folding laundry way too long. Well, in actual fact, the founder and the CEO uh, came up with the idea of a laundry folding machine about seven years ago. However, he was trying all sorts of different ideas. And a year and a half ago, he decided that he was going to make a website and a video and see how much interest there was. And we released the website uh, in June 2016. It went totally viral, and then we realized how many people in the world really hate folding their laundry. I think every single person in the world. I'm not sure every single person. Actually, there are a few people that actually love folding. Yes, but they are sick, sick individuals, and we're not talking about them. <laughs> Maybe, but most people hate folding laundry. And how long is it going to be before I can walk into a Home Depot and pick up one of these types of things? Okay, so the first the, the target shipment, the first target shipment um, is estimated at the end of 2019. That is an awful long time to wait. Do you know how much laundry that I'm going to have to do between now and then? You just have to be a little bit more patient. <laughs> what is the secret behind it? Because I have a heck of a time folding certain types of unmentionables when I am doing the family laundry. How does this know how to fold everything? Okay, so first of all, it doesn't fold everything. It won't fold... You're starting to lose me. <laughs> Sorry, it won't fold sheets. It won't fold large items. You can see it won't cope with fold out. So it's not going to fold a fitted sheet. The one thing I definitely can't do. No, sorry, it won't. Not at the moment. Maybe. That's version 2.0. Maybe, maybe three or something, but not at the moment. And it won't fold really small items. It won't fold underwear, socks, baby clothes. Um, it'll. We are, the target is that it'll fold between um, age five and extra large. So again, by the end of 2019, that's when I'm going to be able to stop folding laundry forever. Um, I hope so, yes. With the exception of the baby clothes and the unmentionables and the fitted sheets, I'll have to wait until, what, 2020 for version 2 for that. I don't know if you'll wait for 2020 for version 2, but eventually we'll get there, yes. Here's an example of how automation is going to reach into retail. All those kids that have make minimum wage folding sweaters at the Gap. Yes. I mean, they're in danger now because for $980, let's say this thing works. 
you have a couple of those things, which is a pittance when it comes to the grand scheme of things, and you just throw the sweaters in there, and then they're folded perfectly, and you put them back on the on, on the uh, display shelf. There were gadgets, though, at the Consumer Electronics Show that were ready for prime time. Deadlines were not missed. HTC, which makes the Vive VR headset, uh, announced at CES a couple of things. One of them, uh, the Vive Pro, which has a higher resolution, and then uh, a gadget that you can add to it to cut the cord, the 12-foot-long cable that goes to the computer, so that you can wander around without worrying about tripping over cables. And uh, I had a chance to, to sit down with uh, Rickard Stiber about that, the man behind it all, and it was a fascinating conversation. They're, the neat thing, too, is that they're not just setting this up, and with the name Vive Pro, for uh, you and me, but for professionals. Uh, when the first I, I walked in, the demo they wanted to give me was the uh, forklift maker Rockwell. Do you know the forklift maker Rockwell? No. Yeah, exactly. But if you are in that world, if you are in the warehouse world, that is the machine. The problem is, is that machine is really difficult to operate if you've never done anything like that before. For example, the steering wheel is off to your left, and it's just a rotating dial that just rotates forever. Unlike your car, you, know, you can't turn completely, but you can turn on a dime on this thing. Uh, and then you've got on the right hand a joystick that has a whole bunch of different buttons for a whole bunch of different things. I could barely get the thing to go forward and turn without crashing into it. But what they were telling me is that they're using this HTC Vive technology to teach people how to use a forklift. And the neat thing is, is when you buy their forklift, you can plug the VR headset into it and it disables the wheels and the actual fork and turns the real forklift into a virtual machine so you can train on it. Now that's interesting. Again, it's, it's technology that doesn't necessarily replace a job. Uh, no, what it does is it ensures you have a job. Yeah. What they explained to me was that um, you get a lot of people who get into that line of work. They can't operate the equipment. They end up getting fired or they operate the equipment poorly. And you've seen that YouTube video, the poor guy who knocks down one of the aisles and everything comes crashing down on top of him. Yeah. You can avoid that kind of uh, problem. Pro suggests it's for the professional as opposed to the home user. HTC going after the commercial market, it seems. I think the Pro is made for the most demanding consumers as well as for the professional users as well. So if you're a hardcore geek and you want to have the best resolution, you want to have the best audio and you want to be wireless, you will go Pro. But also, if you're a designer at BMW or you're an arcade operator, you will probably go with the Pro as well. So it's for the high-end, most demanding customers. Okay. So with that in mind, how do you convince mom to buy a VR headset? I think, I mean, today it has been a lot of gaming and entertainment related, but we're seeing more and more services and applications for education and learning, creativity and design, as well as sort of more mainstream cinematics, things like, I know, Discovery VR and David Attenborough things, things underwater. So I see these other segments coming as well. And I think mom will get it for their kids because they're going to be think it's fun to learn about math and geometry and visit uh, you know the ancient pyramids and you know learn about uh, geography and history and other things that you know some kids wouldn't think is fun. So I think it's a new new platform for learning and creativity as well. The pro seems a little bit bigger than the last one I tried, and you've got the wireless component to it now, which goes on top. I thought technology was supposed to be getting smaller, not bigger. Yeah, actually, it, it is actually lighter, 
and also when you put it on, when you try it, it gives much less sort of weight to the front, so it's much more balanced. So even though it might look a little bigger, it feels a lot smaller. And the fact that the Pro, I'm not going to say eliminates the screen door effect, but it's greatly reduced compared to the current crop, or at least the previous generation before you guys released this one. How long before I don't see any little black lines in front of me between the pixels at all? Yeah, I think that will probably take a little bit of a while, but I think what's magical with the virtual reality is that actually once you get into the experience, and your mind sort of sees that you're there and your ears hear that you're there and you're moving around in VR, actually you kind of forget about that. And it's interesting that you know, some of the applications that are you know, shining graphics, et cetera, you know, are good, but there are some very simple ones as well that sort of you know, trick your mind to sort of be in VR. So it's not I, all about this, the screen door and well, the graphics. Tell me about it. My daughter's favorite game of all of them is Job Simulator. Yeah, no, Job Simulator is great. And I think you know, we're still in the early days of great storytelling because the storytellers are coming from the gaming world or from the video sort of cinematic world. And I think we're kind of, you know, we're still in the early stage of having this new generation of storytellers. And probably it's going to be our kids being those storytellers. You have to tell stories in a different way when it comes to VR. What have you learned about that? So uh, it's interesting how you use the different, uh, different senses. So Everest, where you go to top of Mount Everest, there you can hear your own breathing. And when you hear your own breathing, actually your mind thinks it's kind of hard to breathe and you actually raise your pulse. Uh, so sound is so important that you may not think about that. But also you want to give cues to people turning around. Uh, so sound is very important. Haptics, uh, lab, they have this bow and arrow experience. And actually when you pick up the bow and arrow, the controls vibrate a little bit. And when they vibrate, your brain says, ah, it's the resistance on the bow. But actually, there is no resistance. But your mind fills in the blank. So I think it's these different sort of toolkits that the storytellers in VR will have that you know the normal cinematic or game developers wouldn't have. And I can imagine, too, um, the locomotion is critical as well yeah. because you don't want to make people motion sick. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. So I think it's, you know, when you see something but your balance feel that you're actually not, you know, you have that difference. So I think it's a combination of having great technology like the Pro where you have low latency and sort of high resolution. But it's also the storytelling so that you don't think that you're going on this roller coaster but your mind actually say that you're sitting tight because then you'll have this discomfort or sort of uh, sickness. So. Because you now have the ability to cut the cord on the Pro, uh, and I suppose for the original one as well, uh, at what point does room scale become warehouse scale for the average consumer? So actually, we're already showing it here. So today you have 5 times 5 meters. Uh, and with the new 2.0 basis is 10 times 10 meters. I don't necessarily think that people have a 10 times 10 meter uh, living room, but you know maybe some does. So it's more for the professional or the arcade market. So I think five times five meters, pretty pretty reasonable size for most consumers today. I was talking to a company earlier that showed me VR gloves to give you that haptic touch. Why did you guys go with hand controllers as opposed to just putting gloves on? Yeah, so I do think that all kinds of haptics, if it is in your hands or on your body, is going to be super important, especially mimicking sort of touch when you pick pick up something. So uh, we already we have gloves. Uh, typically, what we do is that you put a tracker on them as well, so you can see your own hands. Uh, I think the controllers are probably the better one to sort of interact with objects as a sort of more generic, because sometimes you want to point at certain things and manipulate objects, which is. I guess you could do with hands as well, but it's a little bit different to track fingers still.
now that the Pro has two cameras on the front of it, are you doing an end run around Leap Motion? Because they were the first to do that. So I think you know today is for the chaperone, so you can have a see-through capability. Uh, but you know you're probably right. As we move forward, you would have inside-out tracking and using cameras for all kinds of augmented reality experiences as well. But not yet. So what are you going to tell me about next year? Because every time I come here, you have something brand new. What are you working on behind the scenes? I know you can't tell me a lot of the details. I think, I mean, what I'm excited about is that, you know, last year we had a thousand titles on the on the platform. Today it's over 2,000. As we come to, you know, end of this year, it's going to be over 3,000. But it's more and more AAA titles, so like high-end quality content. And, you know, old titles like Doom or Fallout that, you know, you grew up with as a kid are coming into to VR. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be that content. And, you know, with thousands of titles, you can't really afford to buy and download everything. So we launched a Viport subscription where you basically can, let's say like an old Netflix model, you can have five titles and then keep them or swap them out on a monthly case. And I think that's going to be better for consumers to be able to try more things and keep the ones they like and you know swap out the things that they don't like. You're not worried about upsetting the folks over at Steam because you have a quite a relationship with them. Yeah, I mean, Steam is a great partner and they, you know, they're the best gaming platform in the world. So we've been trying to focus on let's call it beyond gaming, so learning, education, creativity, but also different models. Steam is very much sort of pay and download. Subscription is not something they have. Uh, we also looked at China where they're not. So we're trying to sort of see how can we live in harmony and complement them a little bit. You mentioned China. There was a Chinese outfit at CES here with an 8K VR headset. Does it make you nervous at all? No, I think, I mean, the resolution is going to continue to improve, but it's not all about resolution. It's kind of the holistic thing. And also, you know, we, we there will be some challenges with graphic cards and things that also need to scale with it. Uh, so I think it's every generation is going to have some sort of improvement. You bring up an interesting point as well, that you need a fairly powerful computer to take advantage of, of a 5 Pro. What about going in the opposite direction, the way Samsung has with their gear, and, and Oculus seems to be doing uh, with a, a lower-end headset. Do you feel the need to get into that market? I, I think definitely think that today we, we kind of have the PC on the high end and then the mobile VR on the, on the low end. And then we're seeing a standalone where you don't need a PC or a mobile uh, as a big opportunity for us going forward. So we announced Vive Focus in, in China. So you essentially just put it on. And I think that's going to be very useful for not only for entertainment and putting it in the living room, but for things like business uh, and education as well. I got to tell you though, I'm not in China. When is it coming for me? So we, we have a kind of a unique opportunity in China because there is uh, so many different vendors there and we have an opportunity to be the platform for all of them. So if you're a Western developer and you want to get into China, instead of talking to each of these 400 manufacturers, you can launch with us and you can reach the main platform. So we're kind of focusing on that first. I do think that standalone is something that's going to you know, come uh, you know, throughout the coming years and going to be really big. One of the things that concerns me with the adoption of this technology is that low end. So many people have seen Google Cardboard and they think that's what VR is. Are you worried about the low end not cannibalizing the interest but telling people saying, you know what, I tried VR, eh, it wasn't anything particularly special. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's an entry point but hopefully uh, there will be an upside, but people will be curious, they'll see what it is, and they'll learn that actually there is something which is much better where they can interact, uh, where they can have a much more immersive experience, where they have, have room scale. And it's the same thing with augmented reality. I mean, of course, we will look through our phones and have some digital objects, into, you know, Pokemon or whatever it might be, 
However, it's not really augmenting my reality. It's potentially adding something to it, but eventually, you know, you, you'll have glasses or other things that actually will, you know, you will believe that the augmented reality is your reality. How much augmented reality do you have planned for the Vive Pro with those dual cameras that give you the ability to do stereoscopic vision? Uh, nothing we can announce now, but I do think that augmented reality is an important part of the future. How far into the future? When do we get to talk about that? I, th I think we'll talk about that already, already this year. I think with, there's so much progress with these uh, sort of AR development toolkits. And also when you develop things in VR, if you have a three-dimensional dinosaur that you put in VR, it's going to be fairly easy to put that in an AR environment as well. So I think there will be this sort of spectrum from, from sort of augmented reality uh, to the full VR experiences. Okay, so one of my favorite things is to show VR to someone who's never experienced it before. So tell me your favorite story about you doing that. Who was it and what did you show them? So, so my kids adopted uh, our neighbors, Bob and Berkey. They're both over 90 years old. And they are very, they're very sort of fit and they walk around. So they tried Everest. And in Everest, you walk over this sort of giant chasm, like 600 meters straight down on this little uh, shaky ladder. And Bob, who's an ex-airline pilot, he couldn't for his life, seriously, for his real life, uh, walk across this thing. So his uh, wife, Berkey, punched him and said, come on, Bob, and she put it on. And she also couldn't do it. And I was so afraid they were going to get a heart attack and die in my living room. So that's that's my favorite one. Yeah, my favorite is, is uh, you take someone to the edge of a cliff and you say, okay, now jump. And yeah. every fiber in their body says, don't. Yeah. yeah, you have this little person. Your brain. This is your brain talking to you. Don't do it. Was there anything music-wise that did appeal to you? I have been not music-wise that appealed. Let me, let me just check. I'm going to go through. Um, the the the, the um, Google Assistant and Alexa integration into car audio is is kind of cool. A number of um, um, automobile manufacturers are, are are using you know voice activation in in different and in, in, in cooler ways. So that was that was kind of interesting. Um, Trying to find out if there was anything else. There, not so much the audio stuff because I have most everything that I I I, I need. I don't need another set of headphones. I don't need another uh, digital audio converter. I don't need another set of speakers. So I was looking at other things. For example, I, I found a couple of pairs of shoes. What? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I go to a gym three times a week, and I'm always looking for things that will measure my progress. You know, heart rate, uh, V2 max, you know, all that sort of stuff that, that helps you get in, into better shape. And there are a couple of shoes that, that I was looking at. For example, there's a company called Sensoria. They're all about wearable technology, and they have a new tech-infused, their words, running shoe. And uh, basically, it, it looks at your, your shoe uh, uh, collects information on, on your cadence, how, you know, how your foot is landing. I have terrible pronation. I need to know this. Um, and all kinds of uh, – there's, there's an artificial intelligence-powered coach built into the app, which helps you, you know, maintain – uh, a good training schedule. So, so this was kind of cool. Yes, it's a Bluetooth-enabled thing, but uh, I, I, it, it's certainly better than what Nike was offering with one of these things that used to kind of thread into your laces. This, uh, this thing has uh, you know real-time verbal biometric feedback. It learns your running paths. It co collects all kinds of statistics, which is not entirely new. I have a, a couple of apps that do that, but this one seems to be really, really intelligent. And uh, I would, I would, I'm sad that I'm not there to try out these shoes because I would certainly 
check them out. I'm sad that you're not there so that you can try out the connected underwear. What was that all about? That also made news back here at home. Did you did you get the demo? I know I, I did not get the demo. I do not need. Could you imagine you everything in your world needs to be charged now? I don't want my underwear <laughs> requiring charging. And that's exactly what it is, is, is built into the, the band uh, you know, is the, the gadgetry that is woven into the fabric. So it, they, they consider it a Fitbit uh, for your body in the form of underwear, and it keeps track of things like your heart rate and whatever else a Fitbit does. Me, you know, I treat my body like an amusement park, not a temple, so I wouldn't know what else a Fitbit does. But it basically does that instead of in a, on your wrist as underwear that you can, of course, wash, which I suspect is probably a really good idea, too. I wonder how much a pair of those things would be. Does it really matter? It feels like we're just sort of jamming all sorts of technology into things that don't need it. So when I, when I posted to uh, the newsroom that this was available, uh, you were the first one to shoot it down. So I just kiboshed the whole okay, idea. Okay, good. Um, did you go see, you, uh, you're allergic to dogs, so you wouldn't have seen the pet cube. There was a lot of stuff there. The pet cube was one of them. I didn't get the value in the pet cube. Pet cube had last year uh, a display at CES that would shoot out a treat to your dog, which I thought was neat and into itself. It had a little screen. But the pet cube is a new one that doesn't even have a screen on it. So why would your dog even know that you're trying to communicate with it? Well, you don't understand dogs. If, if you keep shooting treats out at it, the dog will be staring at it. Um, and and what I'm finding fascinating is that uh, this the pet cube allows your pet to take selfies. And right, well, like, no, the one okay, the one I saw also had two way video calls, so you could somehow attract your pet's attention to this device. Your pet would come up to it, look at it, and you would appear on the screen, and then you can talk back and forth. But isn't it just going to be simply confused by the whole thing? I don't know if we, we yeah, I, again, here is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. I don't think that this is actually <laughs> going to help with separation anxiety with pets. And if, 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 if you are that desperate to, you know, maintain contact with your pets during a workday, for example, uh, maybe you need to find a job with a dog-friendly workplace. We uh, spent some time talking to Jim Farley, the executive VP and the president of Global Markets for Ford. He's the big shot behind the self-driving car. And you and I have had uh, conversations about this, largely because you, you are a driver. You like to drive. Yes. And the concern is, is that why would anybody want the car to do the driving for you in that environment? And what I found interesting was what he said to me was that... It's probably going to be more about the professional driver than the personal driver. Um, Ford is presently, and a couple of years back, the big thing was vehicle-to-vehicle communications, that we had figured out how to do that so that when the car in front of you breaks, that your car knows that, you, that it has done that, um, to expanding that out into working with cities to integrate communications so that the self-driving car will know if there's an emergency vehicle coming and they can reroute and redirect traffic during emergencies automagically and he figures that the real future of the self-driving car is your FedEx vehicle your taxi vehicle and that they'll sell the car to those people I asked him about the hot tub time machine remember we had this conversation yeah I do there's no one driving that car yeah it's a smart car yeah, I can see that. No, it's a smart car. It's self-driving. What? That's awesome. Now, see, this is that future shit I'm talking about. How much does that set you back? 
You guys are hilarious. I don't own it. I mean, no one does. You need a car, one shows up. Really? You're a wonderful car, and I appreciate you. First of all, I was amazed Jim didn't know about that scene. Like, how could you not know about Hot Tub Time Machine? Uh, and second, he basically backed that up, is that that is, is kind of the future, where no one really owns a car. It's fleets that are owned by companies. Yeah. What we've spoken in the past, we've looked at previous technological advances at CES. You know, vehicle-to-vehicle communications, that was a big hurdle that needed to be overcome. In the last year, since we last spoke, what's the big hurdle that Ford's overcome? I think the the idea that um, we're approaching the digital city, so to speak, um, with the systems approach. It's not like just automation or vehicle to vehicle or vehicle to infrastructure. It's um, putting all those pieces together because now the technology is coming to fruition. I mean. In 2021, Ford's going to have a, a fully automated, dedicated vehicle, but not only that, a whole business is delivering automated, through automated vehicles, goods or people. We're going to have 100% of our vehicles connected in North America. Those vehicles, are they connected to each other or are they connected to the smart cities? Because I can imagine a lot of the tech that you want to do, where you integrate with emergency systems and things like that, that's going to require a lot of buy-in at the municipal, provincial, and federal levels too. Yeah, so connecting the vehicles is just the easy part, to be honest. Um, the more interesting part is what they're going to do when they're connected. And yeah, absolutely, uh, e-call, emergency services will be part of it. I think your question is more fundamental than just emergency services. It's um, will the city know how to tr uh, um, t inform your navigation system on where it should go based on only the traffic now, but the traffic where during your during your trip, and also what's best for the city, not just for you. Um, and I, I do believe that discussion is going to intensify a lot. Like, we have a lot of engagements with cities right now. We have a group that does that exclusively. And we are so impressed with how many cities are starting to think about the system approach. With all the data coming from the vehicles and the automated fleet, they, they want to use that data to make better decisions, not only for people but also and goods, but also for movement and congestion. Okay. A weird zig when I think you're going to expect me to zag. One of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen was Hot Tub Time Machine. And then I went out and I saw the sequel. And there was a line in it where the guy of the future um, calls his car. And the guys from the present say, wow, you own a smart car? And the response is, no, nobody owns a car now. To your point about fleets, someone's got to own the car. Who is Ford selling cars to down the road? Well, it depends. I mean, we, we still think there's going to be very vibrant, you know, private ownership of vehicles for many years to come. Um, but in the city center of Toronto, uh, they're going to be fleets owned by Ford. They're going to be fleets owned by all sorts of uh, companies. And those fleets and, and, and more and more will be automated. Um, and those automated vehicles are going to be working most of the day. They're never going to take a rest. And for us, we are going to have what we think is a compelling system because it's not just about delivering people through an automated vehicle it's also delivering goods and integrating with the city um so i i think we're going to be selling to more and more complex you know groups of people more and more 
um, fleets, we're going to be owning fleets ourselves. Now that's something we do today. We're the number one commercial brand in Canada. You know, um, so we sell F series, we sell transits, small transits. So, you know, those customers are our customers today, and we will keep doing that. But now maybe we'll own the fleet ourselves as well as individuals. I wonder if at this point one of the biggest hurdles you have to overcome has more to do with psychology of those either walking down the street or pulling up at a red light. Like we're, we're next to this vehicle right here, which you used as a test to get a sense as to how people react to looking at a car and there's nobody driving it. Yeah. Uh, how do you overcome that? Well, it's kind of inter- it's a very interesting question because you go to a place like Pittsburgh where the you know Ford Argo AI is there and other companies have been testing you know, in parts of Pittsburgh, autonomous vehicles for like a couple years. So people don't even care there. Like they are totally used to a car with a driver who's not manipulating the controls or even no driver. But in other places, you know, um, they're like, whoa, that car has no driver in it. Um, and we've learned a lot from that. Um, but, you know, generally people are really quick to adapt, you know, technology if it's, if it's reliable and safe. So if I am in a, an autonomous vehicle, I suppose if I don't have to worry about doing the driving, what am I going to do? You guys have a relationship, of course, with BlackBerry, and BlackBerry is critical in the center console. Uh, I guess infotainment's going to be that much bigger for Ford, and, and what I'm going to do if I'm not keeping my eyes on the road? Well, I think, you know, for ride hailing, which is only part of it, I mean, we really believe that moving goods, just like moving people, that's like a really big part of the automated platform that we're building. Um, so let's talk about moving people. I mean, people are going to do what they do today. They're going to they're going to watch Netflix. They're going to do work. They're going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and someday in the future, we may have AVs that are specific to whatever they want to do. Maybe it's exercising. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, I I think it's going to give everyone more time. It's our, it's our most precious thing is our time. Um, but I I think um, that's really exciting. But uh, how you're connected is going to be more and more important. For example, if you're in that autonomous vehicle and you only get the connectivity you do on the sidewalk, well, that's not great. Um, so people are going to be looking for these automated vehicles to have upgraded connectivity in them because they're going to want to watch their Netflix. So I'm curious, because you've come back to the, the whole idea of fleet management and specifically using this to, to deliver products from point A to point B in 2021, how many fleet vehicles are you going to sell versus personal autonomous vehicles? So no, we, we think most of it is going to be uh, fleet uh, autonomous vehicles. Um, the the kind of road to partial automation, level two, level three, you know, that's going to continue. All companies, you know, Ford will have all sorts of great choices. Uh, we've been on that road for many years, city stop, you know, automated parking, you could find that in all sorts of Fords in Canada. Um, but, you know, fully autonomous vehicle, like a level four that's geofenced, we feel like, you know, most of the people who are going to own those are going to be people in the business of running those AVs, like Ford. I can see companies like Avis and Hertz and Enterprise and Alamo and everybody getting into that sort of thing where you just call up a car whenever you need it. it it's like the next iteration of, of Zipcar or, or any of those ride-sharing services. You were talking about uh, the professional drivers. Uh, there are about 235,000 professional truck drivers in Canada. They're absolutely petrified 
about this work? Because if you can get somebody to drive long distance, or if you can, sorry, let me just back that up. If you can get a, a, a truck to drive itself long distance and then maybe park in some kind of marshalling yards outside a major city where you would have what the, the equivalent of a harbor pilot bring the truck into the warehouse or the delivery zone or wherever it is, I mean, that's going to be a really big disruption for the truck driving industry. Um, pizza delivery drivers. I know that, that um, uh, they're already working on autonomous vehicles that will deliver uh, pizzas. In fact, there was, a, there was an episode of Black Mirror, the second season, where, where one of these things is actually prominently featured. Well, I'll tell you this. They had the Domino's self-driving pizza delivery car at CES this year. And then one of the neat things they had to come to a, an understanding about is how you as a human would interact with the vehicle if there was nobody there to take your money or hand you the pizza or anything like that. And they worked out a couple of neat things. One, you can only get the pizza from the right side of the vehicle. And I suppose if they brought this to Europe or to the UK right. specifically, they would do it the other way so that you don't have to go out into traffic to get it. There's a little iPad-like display next to the rear passenger window, and you type in your four-letter code or your four-digit code to get your pizza. The window rolls yeah. down I, and the one in your uh, Black Mirror had uh, a series of slots, maybe like a dozen slots on the side of the vehicle. And again, you punched in your, your, your code. You've already paid for it, of course, via your credit card when you made the order, and uh, your drawer with your pizza zzz, would, uh, would would open up. So yeah, I can, I can certainly see that happening because I know I, I know people who have run pizza franchises, and one of the hardest jobs to keep filled is that of delivery driver because it is it's a it's it's a difficult job, and you don't get a lot of money for it, and you end up with a lot of abuse too. So if you can turn that over to the robots, by all means. London, Bangkok, New York. Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. So we wouldn't be here at all if it wasn't for two individuals. We want to thank Victor Biggio and Nick Waddell of the Cantech Letter when we uh, posted to the website that we were looking for sponsors for the big show. You could sponsor us 20 bucks, which would get us lunch, 50 bucks, which would get us dinner, or $500, and we talk about you. Uh, literally two minutes after I posted to Twitter that begging for money tweet, Victor Biggio posted a $500 donation to the big show. What? Yep. Are you two kidding minutes. me? And the only thing he wants in return is for us to talk a little bit about his podcast, the Biggio Brothers. And so I looked up the Biggio Brothers podcast, which is on SoundCloud, and you can find it on Facebook as well. And it's him and his two brothers talking about their favorite topic. And I can't help you out with this at all, guys. It's the NFL. That's football, yeah. right? Um, I, I, can, I, can, I can cover for you in a pinch. Okay, because I listened to it, and I understood all those words, just not in the order they were giving them. Okay, I, okay, fine. Uh, if you send me, tell you what, if you send me a link to the podcast, uh, I will spread it throughout my social media network, which will networks, which is good for about 100,000 people. 
Awesome. I will do the same thing. Uh, we also want to say thank you to Nick Waddell of the Cantech Letter. Every year in January, uh, there's the big Cantech conference. It's an investment conference in, in Toronto. And if you are a startup or you are looking for some angel money, some seed money to take your business to the next level, you go there. You uh, network. You shake some hands. You, 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 you shake a couple of trees. You, you make it rain kind of thing. Uh, and that's the place to go to do that. And January 31st, uh, at uh, the Metro Convention Center in downtown Toronto. I am actually going to be the master of ceremonies uh, all day down there. So if uh, you want to come and say hi, by all means, I'd love to talk to you uh, as Wait, well. Wait, that's, that's the 31st? Hang on, let me just check my calendar. I think yeah. I'm around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to Nashville the following week, but I'm uh, on the 31st? It's a great opportunity to find out what's next as far as Canadian companies. Like we, we, we talk a lot on, on the Business News Network, my, my, my day job, about how there doesn't seem to be very many Canadian companies. Like remember, it was all about Nortel at one point, then it was all about BlackBerry at one point, and then you're just like, well, well, now who is it all about? And this is the show where you go to find out where the next big thing is going to be. That's Wednesday, right? That's a Wednesday? That is a Wednesday. Okay, yeah, put me down. All right. So we also, of course, have to thank uh, our regular patrons and our members of the World's Worst Intern Program, who what makes it, of course, the world's worst is they donate a dollar to the show. They don't do any actual work on the show. We take their money and we say thank you very much. And we want to say thank you again to everyone who's been part of that whole experience because it continues. We were off through the month of December, but uh, the patronage continued. Uh, and uh, so we want to say thank you. As a matter of fact, I, I think a couple of you helped pay for dinner last night for Wifey and Me. Oh, very nice. You know, you are doing all the work, so I don't begrudge you anything. <laughs> Can I, uh, have you run across uh, Windows Mixed Reality yet? It's funny you should say that. It is conspicuously absent, and not completely so, but um, the real focus is more augmented reality, and yes, uh, the Microsoft uh, Mixed Reality is more ab about that. But there doesn't seem to be as big a, a thing about it this year as I would have expected. Yeah, I, it, it, Microsoft did a terrible job rolling this out. It's been available since November, and they talked about it a little bit in the fall, and now it is available. You have to go to a Microsoft store to actually see it in action. Um, but it is real minority report stuff. You know, it, it, it could be uh, the interface of the future. I mean, you still have to have these really goofy handheld things, and there's this giant VR visor that you got to wear. But uh, I've heard some rather interesting ex uh, reviews of this, some very good um, experiences. Well, in a related note, I'm waiting at the taxi stand, which is how you spend most of your time at the Consumer Electronics Show. If you're going from, say, the convention center to one of the, the satellite operations, there's something going on at the Sands, the Venetian, the Wynn. Uh, and uh, so I'm waiting in line at the taxi stand. And the guy in front of me, we just strike up a conversation. We end up sharing a cab to the same hotel. And uh, he's the chief operating officer of Vuzix, V-U-Z-I-K. And it's a pair of sunglasses that does Google Glass one step further. Um, you don't, it, it sort of superimposes an image over your field of view, an augmented reality, as it were, and it's Alexa-powered. So you say things like, hey, Alexa, where's the nearest pizza shop? And then it starts giving you arrows to tell you where it is. Uh, instead of pulling out your phone to see if that Amazon order made it in or not, uh, it pops up in your field of view as you're doing whatever it is you're doing. It wasn't as distracting as I thought it would be, uh, but there we were sitting in the backseat of the cab doing an interview, 
uh, on, on the topic is why the heck not? And it was a fascinating conversation about how you can take that technology and apply it, again, much like the forklift guys, to the professional world where you want to teach people. His example was great. He, he talked about it. You get a guy who knows he's an auto mechanic. He's out of work. Uh, you can start a job at an HVAC company, which has absolutely nothing to do with cars. But if you're wearing these glasses, you could be taken step by step through whatever process it is to install and uh, assemble whatever the, the HVAC system is. All right. So the, the, the owner's manual, the instruction manual is right in front of your field of vision. The whole time. Huh. There was a, one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, see if you can find it. It's a company called MellowMind. Okay. M-E-L-M-I-N-D. Um, they're, they're, they're headphones, sort of. They come with four ECG sensors that track the activity of your brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure why, but maybe for things like biofeedback and meditation and um, a few things like that you know, to help you, uh, you know, clear your mind and stuff. So see if you can find a pair of those things. Mellow Mind. Yeah, using uh, an EEG technology, uh, Mellow Mind uh, is doing what I've seen others do, and Canadian companies, as a matter of fact. It, it, what it's doing is, is monitoring not what you're thinking, but how you're thinking, and you try to slow that brainwave activity down, and it gamifies it by putting you on a, on a beach, and you're listening to the, the, the surf, and you're trying to calm down, and if you can lower your heart rate to a certain level, you get a point. And the whole idea is to help teach you how to relax for crying out loud. Yeah, I, I would love that because sometimes when I go to bed, my mind is going at a thousand miles an hour and I just can't shut it off. And I don't like relying on any kind of sleep aids. Uh, so so something like this where I could actually gain control of my mind and my thoughts, I, I think would be great. I think we need to wrap this up because wifey's been down at the slots. Oh, no. Oh, the Jesus. entire time. And uh, she was there. I, I haven't gambled. And I don't gamble. I, I don't find it of interest. I don't get why people do it. But no, okay. me neither. My, my mom and dad, they just love it to death. But I, whenever I see people just feeding change or tokens into a slot machine, for example, and then pulling the lever or pressing the button and, and nothing coming out, I just get this terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like, what are you doing? Well, you, you know, the thing is, is, it's so addictive. It's so addictive. How addictive is it? It's so addictive that they basically made them a dead man's switch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Right, like boating, where you if you fall overboard, it pulls the plug on the key and the boat comes to a halt. <laughs> now, it, everything's done by cards. You're not putting any money or tokens into any machine anywhere. You slide the card in, and, and these cards are on these little cords. And if you step away from the machine, it pulls the card out and it doesn't gamble anymore. So Tell me about it. That's my mom. My <laughs> mom has these cards. And what happens is that they take, they track not only how much money you sh- uh, p- shove into these machines, but they also track how much time you spend gambling. And when my parents come home on the bus, on the seniors bus, my mom is always winning a t-shirt because she is the one that spent the most time with the slot machine. So I come back uh, from CES and wifey says, uh, yeah, so I was uh, I was uh, doing some gambling while you're doing that because all of the outlet stores had nothing in it that I wanted. And uh, so how'd you do? Well, I was up 120 bucks and I should have stopped. Yeah. F- famous last words. Exactly. How many stories do you have or do you know of where people go, yeah, I was up and then I didn't stop and then I was down. So, dude, I'm going to go before she uh, she uh, gambles away little Olivia's entire college savings. Yeah. Or all our Patreon money. 
So you're going to come here next year? I will come. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff that people are sending me. I'm following all the stuff that's in the news, and I'm thinking, damn it, I really wish I was there because there's a couple of things I would love to look at. But I'm so intimidated by the size of this because I've talked to a bunch of tech people and, and the question that they ask each other on, on some of these podcasts and some of the conversations that they have is, hey, are you going to see yes? And the answer is always, God, no. Yeah, it's 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 a grind, dude. It took me 30 minutes just to get from the South Hall to the North Hall through the Central Hall because it was pouring rain for the first time in 116 days. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a new stand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.